a difficulty we uh, relatedly encountered. And I want to thank very much uh, Wayne uh, Salkinder for uh, filling in for Paul Berger, who is our usual host uh, at short notice. So thank you very much. Um, right, so welcome everyone. Uh, last week we were not in session because of Shavuos night. And so tonight we are going to continue our studies of Al Shikha Kadosh, and we are up to Parshas Naso, of course. And our subject is holy by choice. Parshas Naso has a number of very uh, interesting uh, subjects which are taken up uh, actually in considerable detail. And I'd like to deal well with one, and hopefully we we'll have time for a second one of the uh, disparate subjects which is addressed in our parsha. Uh, the one I'd like to take up first is Nazir. So as we know, the Nazir is the one who chooses to take the vow of the Nazarite. And let's take a look right away at how the Torah introduces it. So we're in Parsha's Naso Perek Vav, that is um, Bamidbar Perek Vav, chapter six from the beginning, Vadimah Hashem al If you're with me in the stone, Fumash is on page 758. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them. So Al-Sheikh, his style is very often to uh, take up not just a particular verse or word, but a whole subject. And he frequently begins with a number of questions, sometimes as many as 15 or 20 questions or observations or uh, nuances which to which he draws attention. And then he proceeds to address them. And that's his style here as well. I won't go through all of his questions, but he mentions, uh, I will mention a few of them. Uh, he says, why does the Torah say, va'amarta alayhim? It could simply say, daber al-bene Yisrael, isha, isha, etc. Why do we need va'amarta alayhim? What does that add? Um, he says, why does the Torah say, ki yafli lindor? It could just say, isha, isha, ki yidor, who uh, expresses a vow. Ki yafli lindor. So, it is uh, described here in the art scroll, or it's translated in the art scroll, a man or a woman who shall, who shall disassociate himself. He's disassociating himself, as the term was going to say right away, from wine and from derivatives of the grape. He will disassociate himself or distance himself from the dead. He's not allowed to come into contact with the dead. And he will distance himself or uh, distinguish himself by not cutting his hair for a period of time, typically for 30 days. But he asks, why does the Torah say, Kiafli Lindor? And then he also asks, why does it say miyayin? What's wrong with wine? And uh, it says chometz yayin, even uh, wine, which has turned to vinegar, chometz sheicha lo even mishras anavim, something in which grapes have been steeped. Let's say grape juice. He's not allowed to eat grape, to consume grape juice even, although grape juice by itself has some sugar. It doesn't have any um, alcoholic content. It has not yet fermented. And if it until it ferments, it's not really wine. It's not wine. Why is that forbidden as well? So he takes up the subject in the following point of view. He says that the Jewish people were aware, no doubt, that the Levium had been separated from the rest of the nation. In last week's parsha, for those who remember, it was two weeks ago, because last week was uh, Shavuos, as we mentioned. But two weeks ago, we learned, uh, we read Parsha's Bamidbar, where the Torah describes in detail urban planning, how there were 12 tribes, and each tribe was in a particular position, and how there were four wings of the camp, and each wing had three tribes, and each 
uh, of the three tribes had one tribe that was the leading tribe and the two others who were accompanying that tribe. Everyone has his position. Every tribe has its location. But the tribe of Levi was unique. The tribe of Levi was not counted among the rest of the Jewish people. It was counted separately. And they did not encamp uh, in one of the four wings, but rather in the center. They were encamped around the Mishkan. And as we know, that's for a very important reason, which the Torah describes in some detail at the end of last week's parsha and at the beginning of this week's parsha, namely the role of the three sub-tribes within Levi. My point is, he says, that the Levim had a special, a distinguished, a distinctive, and an elevated role. They were the religious leaders. They were the role models. They were the teachers. They were the exemplars for the Jewish people. They had a special designation, a special status. Within the tribe of Levi, so the Kohanim were a very uh, small group within the tribe of Levi, only one single family, Aaron and his four sons, and two of them died without children, so there are only two sons, Aaron and his two sons and their descendants, uh, the, the Kohanim, and their subsequent descendants in subsequent generations and centuries would obviously become more numerous, and they had a special role which the Torah describes in detail already in Parshas Emor in Vayikra. Then we've got the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. So he says that the Jewish people may have thought, you know, everybody has his position, but the Levim are a cut above. The Kohanim are further elevated. The Kohen Gadol further elevated. There's like a hierarchy of Kedusha. But the Jewish people might say is sanctity dependent on an accident of birth? Is sanctity just a question of the uh, family into which a person happens to be born and he's destined for you and there's no chance for holiness for the rest of us is that the case so therefore the torah comes to address that and therefore it says and say to them collectively moshe says Hashem says to moshe this is what you should say to them i have something to tell you the jewish people collectively Ish o isha, a man, any man, every man and woman as well, Ish o isha says explicitly, can also become holy. And his or her holiness will be of a very exalted level. It's Kiaflidin Dor who will choose to take the vow of the Nazir Hazir Lashem. Now, the word Nazir means separate, it means to separate himself or herself from the norm, from the uh, uh, quotidian sort of march of the Jewish people and to aspire and to actually commit to a higher level of sanctity, which involves Yain v'Sheichar, etc. Says the Al-Sheikh, what the Torah here is saying is that every person in a certain way can actually achieve and can choose to embrace the level of holiness associated even with the Kohen Gadol. Because, take a look at Pasuk Vav, it says, again, part of his um, or her uh, distinctive status as a Nazir is all of the days of his Nazir status to God, he may not come into contact with the dead. And it spells it out. Even these close relatives. And in this sense, he is more restricted even than a Kohen. As we said, the Kohanim were only one family, the most distinguished family within all of Klal Israel. But the Nazir can choose to embrace or to like um, 
uh, ascend to that level of holiness that he also is distanced from dead from death even in his close family close family members because a Kohen is allowed to define himself for the purpose of those close family members the only one who may not the only one who may not is the Kohen Gadol but the Nazir and even the Nazira equally as well can acquire in a certain sense through his own uh, uh, free will, through his own bechira, his own choice, can become as holy even as the Kohen Gadol, even to these close relatives he may not defile himself. And then he has a very uh, astute observation, which uh, I like. Ki nezer elohav al rosho, because the crown of his God is upon his head. Why, what's the crown? The crown is his hair. Not my hair. I went to the barber recently before she was, but Nazir has long hair. And the hair that's on his head, the, the fact he hasn't cut his hair in, you know, up to 30 days and maybe longer if he chooses to take the vow of the Nazir for longer than 30 days. But whether his hair is long or short, it symbolizes his attachment to God. Nazir Elohav al Rosho says the Al-Sheikh, a very uh, subtle and astute observation, in the case of the Kohen Gadol, the Pasuk says, Nezer Shemen Mishchas Elohav Al-Rosho, the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon his, is his head. The Kohen Gadol is holy because he's been anointed with the holy oil. That's why he's holy. But in the case of the Nazir, it says, take a look again at the language, Kinezer Elahaval Rosho. In the case of the Kohen Gadol, the source of his holiness is associated with the oil. Now, the oil was very special. The Havdil, uh, even when they coronated um, King uh, Charles uh, just a few weeks ago, they deliberately and, and with, um, you know, much. Uh, uh, you know, appreciation for the significance, or maybe not full significance, but they certainly had some awareness from the Mount of Olives and all of that. Um, Lahabdil. So that oil is holy oil, but it still says it's a third party, it's an outside entity. It's oil which grows, which is produced by olives, which grow from the ground. So the holiness of the Kohen Gadol is attributed to Shemen Mishchas. Uh, but in the case of the of our Nazir, it says the crown of God is on his head. In other words, the Nazir, his association with uh, his holiness to Hashem is not even uh, like derived from the holy anointing oil, but rather it's derived from his own choice, who takes an header. Okay, that's the first observation that, that he makes, that the Torah here is highlighting the capacity for every person, man or woman, to choose voluntarily to become a Nazir, which represents a an aspiration or even a designation of sanctity, which in some ways is comparable to that of the Kohen Gadol himself. Then he goes further and he discusses, takes up the question, what's wrong with wine? What is the significance of the Prisha Minhayain? So the main uh, sort of uh, theater, the main arena of the uh, asceticism, of the self-deprivation on the part of the Nazir is with regard to wine. And of course, the Talmud is quite ambivalent, quite equivocal about assessing the uh, 
praise or maybe the criticism of this Nazir for forswearing wine. But actually, Alshid doesn't so much uh, elaborate on the downside, although he does mention it. We find that he's criticized. He's called Nikrachote for, for forswearing wine. But he asks in a more sort of um, uh, macro sense. He says, what's wrong with wine? The Torah says, we read in, uh, I think in Shoftim, that uh, wine is Samech Elohim Adam. It brings joy to God and to man. Uh, so what's wrong with wine? Wine is, as we well know, associated with various religious functions, a kiddush and a wedding and a bris and a pidyon haben. Um, in, in ancient times, it was part of the avod and the besamikdash as well, nisuch hayayin. So wine has a, has a prestigious place. Of course, he speaks about the, uh, the downside of wine, and he says quite simply and quite logically, the like um, criticism or the negative aspect of wine is only the excess of wine. It's only wine to intoxication. So he makes reference to, alludes to what Rashi says, the famous comment of Rashi, that this parsha, this uh, passage in the Torah, follows immediately that of the Sota. And Rashi says, called Haraz Sota Bikilkula, whoever sees the downfall of the Sota will take the vow of the Nazir. In other words, he will recognize the danger of wine and how wine can lead to a breakdown of discipline and ultimately to uh, profound degradation. So, he asks, the Ashik asks that, okay, but uh, if wine is so uh, dangerous, if it's so bad, he says, Why doesn't God command his nation, throw it in the river, uh, using the language of the uh, of the Torah regarding Paro, who commanded, So he says, well, why didn't the, the Torah make such a command about wine? Stay far away from it. The answer is, as we already said, it's only the excess, only the danger of excess of wine. And he says that is the essence of being a Nazir. The essence of the Nazir is to take precautions, is to recognize perhaps his own weakness, his own tendency to indulge, tendency maybe to lose control of enjoying wine in moderation. And he says that's why the Torah says, ki afli lindar, the, because the the neder of the um, of the nazir is from the word pele. Pele, you probably know, means amazing, nifla, but it also means something which is distant, something which is inaccessible. Ki lindor, he takes a vow to make wine inaccessible to him. We find that the malach, there was a malach who came to a woman initially, and then because her husband was skeptical whether it really was a malach or really was a man of God, said to his wife, you know, let's, uh, I'd like to see for myself. And eventually this man of God, who was really a malach, appeared to the two of them. Of course, I'm talking about the future parents of Shimshon. And the malach told her, you're going to conceive and that the child that you bear should be a nazir. And they said to him, to this angel, what's your name? And he said, Lama Zetishal Lishmi, or, 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 or he, uh, words to that effect. He said, Lama Zetishal Lishmi, who Peli? Why do you ask my name? My name is Peli. Doesn't mean that was his name. It means that my name is distant. My name is inaccessible. 
By the way, that's the Haftarah for this Shabbos because uh, of the association with Parshas Nasr. So take a look for it. You'll, you'll see. Lama Shalishmi Behu Peli. So says the al that is the essence of the Nazir. The essence of the Nazir is to take precautions, to distance himself, not to sit down next to a bottle of wine because he has experience or he fears for his own weakness. But then he goes further, al and he says, it's not really just wine. Yes, wine technically is the form, is the, the manifestation of the status of the Nazir. However, the real Nazir whose aspirations are exalted, are pure and are, and are lofty, he doesn't just distance himself from wine, but rather he uh, embraces the symbolism. The point is to subdue his Yetzirah to not nourish, to not feed his Yitzhahara. And he proves it in a very beautiful way. At the end of the account of the Nazir, at the end of the description of his status and his role and his odyssey, where he eventually does uh, cut his hair and he brings a certain type of offering to the Beis HaMikdash. And then it says, Va'achar yishteh ha-Nazir yayin. And then the Nazir may drink wine. Actually, it could be that he even should drink wine, but certainly he has permission to drink wine. He's allowed to drink wine. Why? Because he's not a Nazir anymore. And then why does it say, It should just say, This man or woman who was a Nazir for 30 days, maybe longer, can now drink wine, but don't say, That's misleading. It's imprecise. Says the Al Sheikh. The meaning here is that the a purpose, the purpose of being a Nazir, of taking the vow of the Nazir, is to instill in oneself a permanent moderation. He's still called a Nazir because he can be a Nazir forevermore, not in the sense of the prohibition of attending a funeral, not in the sense of never going to the barber, and not even in the sense of never drinking wine, but he'll be a Nazir because he will have acquired the power of moderation. He will have acquired for himself the ability to exercise uh, uh, self-control and to perhaps drink wine in, a, in, in moderation, to drink wine for Kiddush, he'll drink wine on other appropriate occasions. Obviously at the Seder, he'll drink wine, even though it's only Mr. Drabonon to drink wine uh, at the Seder. Um, but uh, he'll drink wine on all of those occasions where the halacha sanctions it. And even he may drink wine for pleasure, for enjoying Shabbos or Yom Tov or something like that. But he will have uh, subdued his inclination towards excess. Uh, I just would say that someone who actually has a, a, a chemical problem with drinking, uh, it's questionable whether it's practical or plausible or advisable to try to go back to moderate drinking. But that, that's just a, 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 a you know, side observation. The prince, and we're not talking necessarily about someone who is prone to alcoholism, but he feels that his love of wine could, could get the better of him. just want to mention when I was in yeshiva a long, long time ago, um, I heard about, the, I heard that a story that the altar of Slabotka, the altar of Slabotka was, was Nassim Tzvi Finkel. He was the, uh, 
the uh, dean of students in the great Slabatka Yeshiva, one of the great Torah personalities of modern times. He inspired and trained and raised and mentored and influenced a generation of great Torah personalities. And his uh, influence actually is still very much felt in the Torah world, even to this day. Rav Nassim Svi Finkel was uh, a um, uh, Baal Musar, and they say that when he was a young man, he was once in the shuk, in the market somewhere, and he smelled the aroma of smoked meat, there was salami or something like that, which is very pungent, and he loved it. And he was like overcome by a desire for it. It was kosher meat even, but he felt I'm losing control. I'm like uh, uh, experiencing a, a Pavlovian response and therefore, I don't want to eat that meat. And he took a vow, according to the story that he took a vow not to eat smoked meat for 50 years, not five years, but for 50 years. He was a young man. I'm sure he, he would have no way of knowing whether he would even live for 50 years. He lived to the age of 76. And I'm told, according to the story, that 50 years later, towards the end of his life, he did eat smoked meat. And he was able to do so without sort of feeling uh, a sense of um, indulgence or that he's just uh, um, feeding his animal desire for a, a, a gustatory experience, which he enjoys. But he was able to eat in moderation and in a sense that this is what I'm eating in order to nourish myself, in order to serve the creator. I mean, the irony is, as an elderly man, perhaps smoked meat was not so good for him at that time, but. Okay, that's just as a as a practical observation. But the principle of it is that when he felt that he was uh, like too fond of meat, of that smoked meat, that he took a vow not not to uh, not to eat meat. Of course, goes without saying that is not a madrega which is expected of every person. But to go back to where we began, that is a, a form of spiritual attainment, spiritual achievement. It's a form of kedusha, which every person can choose to embrace for himself or herself. It's not just the, the accident of birth, someone who is of Shevet Levi or the family of Kohanim or even the Kohen Gadol. Um, finally, he elaborates a bit further. I've kind of alluded to it already, but he elaborates a bit further because he has a lot to say on this subject. I think I've probably told you in the past, it is evident to me that Rav Moshe al-Sheikh, uh, who was a darshan in Tzfat, in the golden age of Tzfat, he would have spoken probably every Shabbos over the course of a number of years, and apparently his drushes would go on for a long, long time, two or three hours. In those days, people had a lot of patience. Now we're just about... Uh, yeah, able to, to deal with a shorter attention span. But um, therefore, his, his, when he edited it into a commentary, it's not so much that there's repetition, but because there's, there's limited repetition, but he will look at a subject from all different angles, and there can be some overlap or some like revealing another facet or a different perspective. And that's the case over here. We just adds on in a later part of his analysis that um, we find that the Torah forbids him to even have, as we mentioned earlier, even wine that has become vinegar, which may not be intoxicating anymore. It certainly is not going to be tasty to drink, maybe in, in you know, 
again, moderation, but the nausea, while he's a nausea, may not drink it at all. The moderation comes after. But as if when he's a nausea, may not drink it at all. And even the grape juice and even grapes steeped in water, he's not allowed to have. So uh, Al-Sheikh says that the principle here is Habale Tahir, one who wants to purify himself, he must do so in steps. He must do so like ascending little by little to a high level. And by the same token, he must keep far from that which brings him to sin. It's not just enough to say, I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to become a Baal Teshuvah penitent. That's not enough because it's not sustainable. A person has to actually establish his own uh, distancing, his own harchakos uh, from the uh, from the Aveira. And he has to know himself what brings him, what leads him, what from his own experience or how he feels in his own uh, self-knowledge will uh, endanger him, puts him at risk, will imperil his moral probity, and he will stay far from, from it. And that's why the Torah says, even though it's only the wine which is the problem, a person doesn't get drunk from drinking a lot of vinegar, um, and a person will not drink a lot of vinegar. He'll only have a small amount uh, even. But even that, because it's associated with wine, because it's a derivative of wine, he will avoid it. And in that way, he will regulate his behavior. And uh, he will be able to uh, stay far from that which brings him to the Avera. Again, in the Musar thinking, in the Musar-like uh, approach, um, they have what's called tachbulos hamusar. Tachbula is like a trick. Uh, it's a trick, not in the sense of a magic trick, but it's something which a person will devise for himself to outmaneuver the Yetzahara. He knows that the Yetzahara is very strong when he comes into close proximity to certain opportunities. So he will avoid those opportunities. He will avoid even the proximity to them. He will avoid maybe the camaraderie that led him to transgress. He will avoid, as I dare I say, the technology that has uh, uh, is a snare for him. And this is called the Tachbulos Hamusa, and we derive that, says Al-Sheikh, or this is part of the, the picture that emerges from what we learn from the Nazar. We do have just a few minutes left, and I want to briefly talk about another subject in our parsha. Towards the end of the parsha, actually, it occupies about half the parsha itself, but it's quite repetitive, so there's not, um, well, it's an extended passage, but the insights to be derived from it are... Um, Ashurachi does have a lot to say, but in any case, uh, let me just get to my point. Take a look at the beginning of the last uh, chapter that takes us to chapter uh, seven. Uh, the beginning of chapter seven, uh, it's on page 764 if you're with me in the arts scroll. So this is the Parshish Hanesim, and this has a lot of repetition. And which he speaks about, but I'm not going to do that right now. Let's talk about the opening words. So it's the beginning of chapter seven. It was on the day that Moshe completed the construction of the Mishkan. So he says that turn of phrase would make sense if this was a project that took Moshe a certain number of days to do. And day by day, he advanced, he uh uh, completed part of it, that is to say, he he partially completed it day by day, and when he finished it, so that's Biyom Kalos Moshe, on the day that Moshe finished the, finished the project, that would be sensible. That would be a sensible way to describe the construction or Moshe's endeavors to build the Mishkan, if that were the case. 
but it's not the case because actually the Torah uh, tells us um, that it's not exactly explicit in the Torah, but according to Chazal, Moshe actually built it day by day. In other words, he built it in its entirety and then he dismantled it. Day by day, he built it. You could say he was um, testing it for any uh, uh, weaknesses or to be sure the construction was right. That, that could be. But if that is the case, that he built it day by day and you know, disassembled it day by day, then why does it say, it's an uh, imprecise turn of phrase. Says Al-Sheikh, a beautiful idea, the Mishkan is like a microcosm of the world. And when Hashem created the world, he created the world in the six days and he rested on the seventh. The completion of the world waited for the seventh day for Hashem to infuse rest, menucha, into the world. In a similar way, he says that man was formed, but man was a golem. Man was like a an, an inert form until Hashem breathed into man the breath of life. And then man became a living creature. Says the Alshech, the same is true for the, the Mishkan, or by, by analogy. The world, uh, man could not have survived if he was just inert. He would decompose, just like a dead body decomposes. It's only the breath of life that Hashem instilled within man, which made that man could live and procreate and could live on generation after generation. He says the world also, if the world was inert, even though nature was functional and all of the animals, etc., etc., the plant life were doing what they do. But Al-Sheikh says, in a metaphysical way, the world could not have endured until it was infused with the sanctity of Shabbos. That's Shavas Vayinafash. That Hashem imbued the world with a spiritual power. And that is Shabbos. After six days, the world could not have endured uh, into the future, unless the seventh day involved the sanctity of Shabbos, the infusion of Shabbos. He says this is the same thing with the Mishkan. Moshe built the Mishkan and disciplined it every day, but it could only endure into the future. It could only be endowed with the spiritual greatness. Otherwise, it would just be a beautiful um, carpentry uh, achievement with a lot of um, you know, skill and, and, and beauty and colors and all of that, but it would not have had its inherent sanctity until Hashem infused it in the, on the seventh day. So that's what said, and it was on the seventh day that the Mishkan was imbued with sanctity, just as the world was imbued with sanctity on Shabbos. And uh, uh, of course, we also experience that renewal, that spiritual renewal on Shabbos. I haven't done complete justice to it, but I don't want to go over time either. So just to review, as we like to do briefly, we've spoken mostly tonight about the Nazir. We said, say to them, any man and any woman, don't think that sanctity is a, a an accident of birth only, but rather any person, a man or woman, can also achieve in a certain sense a level of sanctity and spiritual greatness similar to that of a Kohen and similar to that even of a Kohen Gadol. We said that the primary arena of his uh, sanctity is in distancing himself from wine, and that's because he realizes that wine 
has a risk factor, and he wants to stay far from risk factor temporarily. But afterwards, he's still called a Nazir because in a meaningful way, he will always be a Nazir if he's successful, because he will not, he will, in the future, he will not be subject to the enticements of the Sahara, certainly not with regard to wine. And again, it's a, it's a, a, a metaphor for the clutches of the Sahara generally, and this is his objective to permanently acquire the gift of moderation, and we said that in general, this is the approach of the of the Nazir, of what the Torah tells us, that he has to establish boundaries for himself to keep himself far from the risk factors which he knows or he senses could lead him to, to his downfall. And finally, that the, the Mishkan is a metaphor for the world itself, which was endued with spirituality and was endued with the Neshama. You say that's Shabbat Vayinafash. On the seventh day, Hashem did not do malacha, but the cessation of malacha infused the world with the capacity to endure. And that is true for the Mishkan as well. Thank you very much. And uh, wish everybody a wonderful Shabbos. Um, and um, for those who are nearby to Kesher, please join us at the Bar Mitzvah of Aaron Sher uh, this, uh, this Shabbos as well. And I wish everybody Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Beautiful share, Rabbi Simon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you to thank Wayne, you, uh, for hosting us tonight. Thank, thank you. you very much, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.